get this thing up here a little bit higher. Microphones, gotta love them. It makes me kind of wonder if I ask everybody the question, who would like to, who would like to be the guy that when I'm sick, <laughs> I can't make it here. Who'd like to be the one to stand up with the microphone? <laughs> you know, honestly, I think there's a whole lot more of us who could do that, that don't feel like it or don't think you can. I want to encourage you that way because I know that um, I, I, I kind of like to share this part of my testimony oftentimes when I'm, when I'm with the intent to encourage others because, you know, my life and background was, an, and it still is, I'm an introvert. And commonly, introverts are labeled the people who don't like to be in a crowd. And this, what I'm doing right now, is not an introvert thing. Just want to let you know that. So how did God take an introvert and put him up in a position to be able to share, to speak openly? Well, the same way he does for you. He doesn't do anything different for me than he does for you. And he found, I think he found an open spot in my heart to be able to do what he wanted to do, regardless of how much I felt like I couldn't do it. But I remember one of the most difficult times I'd ever had was when I was a youth, and, uh, and we were going to youth groups. So when I was a teenager, um, and we were asked, I think most of us, to actually share our testimony and that was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I just felt like I was the guy that sat in the back of the class, and if they wanted you to volunteer to read, I wouldn't read. I wouldn't go up to do anything on the chalkboard. Anything that was put me out in front was the last thing on earth I was willing to do. And so I was tucked in the quiet in the back row. Nobody could see me, and nobody knew I was there. That was me. <laughs> and so... But... I didn't, come, I didn't come to have the desire to preach, or I don't even think the call to preach, because I wanted to preach. I think it happened because I loved His Word. And I loved what God revealed to me, and it felt so real, and it so, felt so vivid and real to me personally, that it just became natural to share it. But I think that that's kind of the supernatural work of God. He doesn't have to make it unnatural. He makes it natural in a sense. And so for me, it was going from stage to stage, development of, and watching the Lord work through those times when. And I remember my breakthrough moment was we had gone on a missions trip to Mexico, and I came back from Mexico um, feeling very much different. And it was the influences in my life at that time, and they wanted us to share a testimony. And at this time in my life, other than, than what my first testimony as a youth was like, this time in my life, I had been spending hours. So when I came home from school, the rest of my night until I went to bed was pretty much reading my Bible, indulging my time in prayer. It felt like, it felt like I was going to die without it. And so it became, I, I, it became my obsession, if I could say anything. And so, um, and then I would attempt to wake up as early as I could so I could get more of it in. But a lot of that, um, this is just a side note, but a lot of that was the fear of facing kids in high school, the struggle that I had over this introvert mindset 
when one scripture, just one scripture, was a gnawing conviction to me, and it was this one. And this is how God used scripture to break uh, an ultra-sensitive um, introvert out of his shell, and it was this one. If you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my father. And I could not see myself going to high school every day without sharing and telling any and telling people about Christ and sharing something out of his word. I didn't I felt like that if I didn't, I would be fulfilling the guy that was ashamed. And I just felt like I couldn't go to school ashamed. And so I was constantly fearful because I didn't want to go talk to somebody, but I kept thinking about that scripture. And so little by little, that brought me out of it. And I realized that sometimes obedience, and I would tell this to anybody, obedience to God does not mean you're going to feel comfortable with it. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. But when you've done it, God does something to you. He does something in you that changes you. And so that testimony, getting back to that, after that trip from Mexico, what I hadn't realized was this scripture that I had been reading so incessantly had become such a part of me. So much so that this testimony, it just like I came on fire. There was a new person standing up there talking. The fear was gone. The struggle, the what the crowd was thinking, all of that just wasn't there. And in that moment, I was saying things that was like, I, I was almost like I was trying to hear myself at the same time. I was saying things I couldn't believe I was saying. I was bold in ways that I didn't think I, was, I could ever be bold. And then the scripture, it was like I didn't have to go find it because I knew where it was. And I was saying it, speaking the scripture straight from my, my mind. And they were all there, like the whole Bible was right there. Any scripture I wanted felt like I could have picked it out in those, those moments. And it just became so real. And afterwards, they had shared that there was somebody within, there was a youth that, that was there said, I want what he has. And that was a breakthrough moment for me. And so those are the ways God brought me to the place where I could openly share um, what I'm sharing with you today, but also just openly sharing in other circles of life. So, um, another story. I want to share this story real quick before we get too much into it. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. High school. I was in five, five or six different high schools within the space of two years. Um, all the way from Orlando, Florida to... I almost hit all four corners of the United States. I just missed New York for some reason. But I ended up there later, but just not at that time. So Orlando, Florida, Crescent City, California, and back here in Washington, and kind of back and forth a couple different times. And so in those times, I was in very unfamiliar environments, really unfamiliar. So in Florida, predominantly black uh, students. And so I was a minority at that time. And I thought, well, that feels weird. We, when my first time on the bus, they had, like, it felt like I was on a prison bus. It just, the atmosphere and the feel of it, just like, this is so not where I want to be right now. And then when we went in, the, the guard 
there was a guard at the school. He was huge, muscular guard at the school. And they had uh, like cage, cage stuff, like the Coke machines and stuff had bars on them and everything else because evidently it could get pretty violent in that school. And I went there not knowing anybody. And I started a prayer group, an introvert, just to let you remember that, an introvert, still an introvert. And I would, I just went in the middle of the campus during lunchtime. I didn't eat my lunch. And I raised my hands and I worshiped and I prayed all by myself. And that was an attention getter. Let's just say that. That was like, I just raised my flag and everybody got to see who I was, I was there. And you know, as weird as that sounded, God used that. And eventually, one of the kids that was a Christian kid from a class that I had been in came and joined me. And he uh, he decided to pray with me. It was just the two of us for a little bit of time. And then eventually, somebody else came. And you know what I noticed was the, what, the most awkward and difficult time to be a Christian is when you feel like you have to stand alone. If I could just have one other person with me, it changed the whole dynamic. You could, you could get the picture. It's like you're out there by yourself, and you're doing that for a week, and, and the only thing that's happening is, is you got a bunch of other students there, and they stop talking, and they all start talking about you, and they're standing around watching you do that, and some of them laughing at you or whatever. That feels really uncomfortable. But then once I had somebody there, it was like somebody was there to hold my hand through it. Somebody was there to fight with me in the midst of that feeling of battle of being alone. And that was phenomenal. But it was also even more phenomenal to watch more Christians come in. And then uh, we actually had, in that high school in Orlando, Florida, we had a block scheduling where there was an A and B lunch. Sometimes some students would have an A, a lunch, so the first day they would have an A lunch, and the next day they'd have an A lunch. Some of them would have a B lunch split up. So it was constantly like weird like that. So, But the, the blessing of that was that on um, certain days, some kids would be with me on my lunch, and then on opposite days, they would be on another lunch, and they started a new prayer group that had never been started prior to my being there. There was no prayer going on in that school that I was aware of before I showed up. Now, I just felt an urgency that the call of God and these kids, all of them, this was how I felt about it, was they're all going to hell. They're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and all of them that do not have Jesus Christ, except for the ones who do, are, are going to be lost for eternity. And I want to change that somehow. Like, I can't feel like God saved me so that I could sit off to the side and watch other people lose their souls. I just couldn't think of that. So the, the desire for them and was just beyond me. And so I propelled out of my shell because I wanted to stop that somehow. I wanted to be get in the way of it. And um, so eventually, we, we had a huge group of young people. It didn't take very long, because I think most of them were looking for one thing. I don't know if anybody's caught on to this, but most of them weren't willing to start it by themselves. But they were willing to join if somebody would. 
And I don't think that it was that I started it. I never look at it like that. But what I see in it is, is that this was something that I think, from my perspective, I think that Jesus was calling to many Christians before I got there. I was one of the few that were willing to take the, the feeling of shame, the feeling of being looked at, the feeling of being noticed. I was the one who's willing to do that in order for God to bring everybody else together. And what was one of the, the one of the stories behind that? There was a girl that she had said, before all of this had happened, she said, "I couldn't share my faith. I just didn't." But she had gotten such courage, such strength to share her faith from this group that she said, "Everywhere I'm going, she was so full of joy. It's like there was just a joy and a breakthrough that had happened." And she said, "I just feel like sharing it everywhere I go now." And then she had a, a boyfriend, I guess, that was in high school, but from a different school. I got a phone call out of the blue by this this boy, and he said, my, my girlfriend was telling me about you, and I've been going to school. And he said, this is what he said. He said, I've been looking for somebody like you for all my, as long as I've been a Christian. I, it was like he was ecstatic about the whole idea. And my encouragement was to him, do it. Like, you go do it. Like, it's not it's not built on somebody special. If you really knew who I was, if you knew me, you'd know that you're probably way more qualified than I am. Naturally, you would be. And I think it's stepping out on the water. I think of, that when I think of Peter, this is, this is exactly what I think of. Is He's like, Lord, if it's you, just bid me out. And imagine taking your first, first step out on that. And when the water hardens underneath your foot, but you have to take the step in all of the uncertainty and all the feelings like it can't happen. And you have to take that first step to see what's going to happen. <clears throat> this, what I'm doing right now, was probably one of the harder steps for me. Um, and I think what had happened is over time, the, the reason why this had become a harder step for me to step into doing what I am here is because... I've been in those church settings and I've watched churches fall to pieces. I've been in hard ministry. I've been in those difficult times. And that's part of some of the stuff that I've had to grow out of. And I just wasn't certain of two things. One, I wasn't certain that I had grown much out of it. Like, you know, maybe I'm just a little too, you know, too much from that hard ministry and I still got a lot of that burdening in my life and I don't want to feed you guys out of that. So that was one of them. The other one was, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that I don't know if I can be that guy again that can step out on what seems like the introvert. I would like to be behind the scenes. I want to encourage the pastor. I want to step up and support the ministry. I don't want to lead it. And that's that was kind of my mentality. That was one of my struggles. So again, I think this, and I'm trying to share this with you guys because I want you to realize God's going to call you multiple times many times throughout your life to make that step out in that water one more time. <clears throat> and you may say, you may look at all your lack of qualifications, all the reasons why you couldn't, all the reasons why you shouldn't, and believe me, <clears throat> I'm already facing plenty of that. There's lots of reasons why I can think of somebody way more qualified than myself, and that would be true. But the question most of the time is, for us, 
What is it that you're discerning that God is moving toward? And what are you afraid to do that he's still calling you to do anyway? And you can't escape it. Eventually, you're going to have to deal face-to-face with it. But the one thing I would like to say is, is don't let too much time lapse between the time God first introduces that to you and the time you actually commit yourself to obeying him. And the breakthrough comes in the obedience. I know a lot of us would like to feel like we have the breakthrough before the obedience. Lord, let me feel like I got the breakthrough. I haven't done it yet, but let me feel like everything's good, and then that'll make it so much easier to do it. And the breakthrough comes after you step into the water. You get to see it. You don't get to see it hardened first. You get to experience it hardened. So anyway, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I think this is a lot to do with what I want to share with you guys. Ephesians chapter 6. And we're just going to deal with the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 6. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Don't you love a guy who does that? Here he is trying to tell you to turn to a point in Scripture, and then he tells you to turn somewhere else. Then when you get there, he tells you to turn back where you were before. Wonderful. Um, So the first four verses in basically what I want to call this is the fullness of fellowship or the fullness of unity. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. This just covers the topic of unity uh, in a very, very um, literal, very descriptive way. In verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, excuse me, and through all, and in you all. But in every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, and the perfecting, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And lastly, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly Uh, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working of the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Such a sweet, sweet revelation of what God intended to be the picture of the church of Jesus Christ what he intended to be the people of God and what it was supposed to look like and what were the details that were behind it. You know, you wouldn't think in 16 verses that you would get the 
all the dynamics of what is really at heart in unity. And I just want to break down a few of those because the reality is, is that all of us could go home and study this for ourselves and spend hours, weeks, maybe even years, really understanding thoroughly the dynamics and the reality and the pleasure of what unity really is. Um, and, you know, I was <laughs> talking to one of, my, one of my sons about school, and haven't we all gone through those times in school where, like, where am I ever going to use this in life? You know, when, when am I ever going to use that? And, and, you know, it's kind of hard to say to him at the same time. It's like, well, I know I never got that, you know, not that kind of in-depth. I wish I did, but I never got that in-depth. And so far, I've managed <laughs> without it. But the real, the real answer to the question is this, is that in the in-depth knowledge is uh, ideal to somebody whose heart values it. And so when we think of unity, and I think this is what's so important, because there is no way that on any one given Sunday that I can preach a message on unity and that be enough for us. It fills in all the gaps. For those of us, we're saying, my heart longs and loves and is enjoined so much to what is the heart of God, what is the mind of God, and all of that, that I'm not of the mindset to just have foundational knowledge of unity. But I want in-depth knowledge. I want the in-depth kind of knowledge that comes from the Spirit of God that's revealed by God Himself and makes me a part of that. And so for me, what makes this really amazing to me is that this is especially one area that's not an uh, introvert, single-focused mindset. Lord, what are you going to do? Like, heal me, God. Uh, what do you want to do with my mouth? What do you want to do with my time? You know, that's a, that's a me thing. But this is a we thing. This is talking about us. And so the hard thing about that is, is if you are the, uh, I would call it the introvert, but it could be also the selfish mindset, is always try to be focused on you. This is what's going to be really difficult. Because we've got to find harmony with one another, a uniqueness to our relationship together. So I like verse 2. Let's read that again. This is, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. It's, it's no strange thing that he starts the whole picture of this with humility. Individual humility that works out in corporate relationships. So our relationships together, and I've watched this so many times. I've been through this. I couldn't tell you how many times. Where somebody said something that rubbed me raw. But I've also been through some of those situations where somebody said something that hurt me. Specifically, they said things that were directed sometimes right from behind the pulpit that sound like the only person they were talking about was me. And it was all in a negative sense. And I will tell you this, there wasn't, it was very easy to assume the feeling, I'm ready to leave this church, I'm ready to have nothing to do with this person ever again. I'm going somewhere else. I'm done. But what's powerful is, that's not how God dealt with me. It, there was a personal effect at what had happened 
But there was also something that God was looking into that was deeper than what I was going through. And so I remember some of those situations that have happened, and I've realized that it takes extreme, radical humility to be able to put yourself aside and be able to look into the will of God for somebody else who may not be seeing the error of their way. And one, pray for them. But not pray for them out of offense. Pray for them in a gospel sense. Lord, I want to see reconciliation here. That this offense to me just gives me a revelation. And this is how God deals with us sometimes. This reveals to me that person may not be aware of how easily they offend others. And I'm not the only one in this situation. They're doing it to other people, maybe not aware of it, but they'll either do it in the future or it'll be done in the past. But how do I feel about them personally? How do I feel about them personally? Well, I feel offended. And I've learned one thing. If I've ever learned anything, I've learned this. I can never be useful in restoring one person, reconciling one relationship out of offense. I have to let go of it. Whatever bitterness I may be carrying whatever I may be feeling an ill feeling toward them, I have to let go of it. To do any work in establishing a relationship with them. And one of the things I've watched over the years is this. I've watched a lot of people walk out on people that they never tried to fight for, not even announce. And you know, the thought has been in my mind, and I always believe this. I believe God wants us to reverse. If you were in their role and they were in your role, what would mean the most to you? I'll tell you what would mean the most to me. The person that I've offended would still lend me forgiveness. There's nothing that has such a sweet revelation of the love of the gospel and the mercy of God than somebody who comes to me that I don't deserve that mercy toward. Now, we may be the one who's constantly saying things and doing things that are hurtful and offensive to somebody else, and we may be in that block, and we need to be restored on the other side of this humility. Because I think humility is basically, it's basically offense and we're on one side or the other. We're either the one that's constantly being offended and hurt or we're the one constantly offending and hurting. But in either sense, humility has to be worked between both parties for there to be unity. So the person who's offending often, one part of it is we need to stop having excuses for it. There's always reasons to like, oh man, you did something and that every time you do that, I can't help but go here. Not That might be true, but repentance gets in there because the truth is we're just not seeing it from God's angle. <clears throat> so what I've watched through humility is, is this helped me maintain the course of commitment. You know, churches are falling apart. I think churches are falling apart all across this nation and everywhere is because we don't have a commitment. But not commitment to come to church, not a commitment to you know, preach or commitment to even sing or commitment to all those things. And those are important, and that's a part of it. But the commitment is not to the duties. It's toward one another. You know, as I've shared with you before, is that here I'm kind of jumping into this, and I realize, you know, I've been a part and attached to you guys here in the church, and um, but certainly not the way that I am now. So in verse 3, so this humility begins it. Verse 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit 
uh, in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, realizing it's not unity with one another that is the primary focus. It's the unity of the Spirit. In other words, this is the one thing I've realized. There can be a, a good group of people, Christian groups and stuff, that you'd be meeting together, and they actually have unity, but they're not in unity with God's Spirit. They're in unity about things that are even outside of the Scripture, and they're a huge group of people. So the difference here is that we're talking about the unity of the Spirit. The first part is, is individually, we have to be in unity with God in our own life. What is it that God doesn't want that's there, and what is it that God wants to be there that's not for me individually? Because as I come into, if I become right with God and my life is structured right with Him, then everybody else who's like that, I will also be in unity with. There can be no reason for division between the two of us because the heart between by what we're doing is the same. So this is the reason why we can come into a religious circle of almost any kind and we will find maybe somebody or a few people, maybe the first time you ever visit a church and you can say, I just met this person and I hardly know them, but they're a brother and a sister to me and I know it. And then there's others, it's like, Man, we've been here forever together, and we still can't get it together. <laughs> what might be the reason for it? One of the reasons that might be the reason for it is, is that there's a disunity because somebody's not walking in the Spirit. I can't make, I can't, I can make the outward look okay, but there's something about the heart unity of the church that can never happen without this. So it's got to be the unity of the Spirit and he says, endeavoring to keep. And so I looked this up in the Matthew Henry commentary, and this is what he says about endeavoring. It's an earnest and industrious effort, especially when sustained over a period of time. <clears throat> and so it's an industrious effort. It's effort. It's work. But, you know, I think, for me, the greatest part of the work is not... Um, it's not physical. It's a spiritual, and in, in a sense, and it's an emotional work. Because how many of us, just as a show of hands, how many of you guys would say that when you're angry, when you're feeling angry, it affects how you respond to people? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I'm angry, but I'm responding to you in a very loving way. You know, I'm like, not at all. And so the more that pops up, the more we see the, the, the mirror of ourselves. And so we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit by making sure that we stay in check with that. Basically, what I'm saying is, is if my brother or my sister is living close to God, I'm hindering them by living outside of that closeness myself. Because they're not individually, they're not just the body of Christ. I'm the body of Christ with them. So if I'm hurting my relationship, I'm automatically hurting every brother and sister, not just in this church. I'm hurting every brother and sister who names the name of Christ in one way or another. But especially and mostly the people who I have influence with. So you're my circle of influence one way or another. And I'm hurting those people because... The Holy Spirit and the way God works through us is in a very spiritual way. And people are not touched just by your kindness, your gentleness, your natural state. They're most moved by the experience of touching you spiritually in one way or another. 
So we can, we can be very truthful about the Scripture. We may have doctrine right, but if we're not walking in the grace of God, we're not being able to share life with one another in one way or another. And so when we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, it's an industrious effort over your own life to make sure you're right with God. And it's an industrious effort also to watch over one another. You don't know how many people I've run into and they're stumbling in the dark. They're a Christian, they're a brother or sister, but they're stumbling. And they won't tell you they're stumbling. And you can hardly see it, but there's something you can kind of feel. As you walk closer to God, you sense something. And what do you do? I call them or I talk to them. I'm in a life situation with them. And I say, how are you doing? Now, that's an introvert way to get into a conversation. How are you doing? How are things going for you? And somebody, listen to the reply. Listen to how they reply and make effort to not just, well, oh, I'm okay, you know. Make effort to get a little bit deeper than that. And, and I, I believe in what I call probing questions. Not do too much of that because it makes somebody too uncomfortable, but the idea is to probe into it. And I actually had a guy... One time we were in a, a meeting, uh, we were at a camp, and at the camp, the guy had said something, uh, how did he say it? It was like very negative about himself. I guess I'm, I'm stupid, or that's kind of, uh, I'm dumb of me, or whatever. And I was like, I could have stopped there, but I felt like I needed to go further with him, and I said, what did you mean by that? And then he opened up about it, and then I said, then when he got a little bit further, I realized there's things that he's not saying, but I think he needs to say. So I said, what, what more about that? Let me hear a little bit more. And I just, a little bit more direct. Why do you feel that way? And then eventually, some other things came out, and they were really important things. And then before it was all said and done, we had wept with one another, we had prayed with one another, and I watched that be a building block to restorative process within that person's life. That's, in, in my, <laughs> my way of saying it, I would say that's what I would call my definition of endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. This brother's hurting, and he's not able to share that. This sister is struggling. She's not willing to share that. But I'm going to probe you a little bit more, not to find out your business, but to help you heal from your business. Not to go tell everybody about what's going on in your life, but to do what I can to help you. So that we can be one in Christ. Um, let's go to verses 4 and 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as we are called, and one hope of, our call, of your calling. One Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and uh, above all and through all and in you all. So here we are just talking about is that the, <laughs> the unity of God that we, we, we believe in the Trinity, we believe in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't divert from that. Perfect unity. Imagine here that God ever got out of unity with himself. The three persons in the Godhead, and one of them steps outside of that and decides, you know what, this is my plan, that's your plan. There is no hope after that. It's all done and over with. I wonder if maybe the reasons why we're struggling so badly is because that's what we desperately want and we don't even know it. And so we are realizing this, is that there's so many. I mean, just open up this Bible. <laughs> open it up with uh, anybody off the street especially. 
if they know anything about the Bible, but there's a lot of people who know far more about the Bible than you ever dreamed that they did, but what they do with it. And that's one of the benefits of being on a secular job is like you get to hear it all. <laughs> you get to hear everything out there, and that's what I would call the winds of doctrine. But the one thing I would say that I see differently here is, is that there's not an agreement. I cannot agree with you. Now, there are some things that I would say doctrinally out of the Bible that we can say, well, you've got the Baptists, you've got the Pentecostals, you've got the, um, the Nazarenes, you've got all these, and we have different points of this is what we believe differently. And we're going to have those parts. But in the fundamental, very necessary ones, we better not. This is salvation-oriented about Jesus Christ. And so when I'm talking about this is that there's a unity of the faith among basically those who are solid and true believers, even though there can be differences, but there's a very much different spirit about people of the world and people who may be in the church that are still people of the world. Like, in either sense, just because we come here doesn't mean we've got it right, you know. Um, so... It all comes under the, it's one faith, one God, one body. Once we come to that realization, then we're not trying to find reasons to be disassociated. We're trying to figure out what is it that keeps us from being together in harmony and in spirit. You know, what I'm saying here is as good for our homes as it is for our churches. It means just as much. And I think that it won't be practiced here if it's not practiced at home. We have to have it. Where do we see divisions in our house? And this is one thing we just did yesterday with our family. We get together for a family devotion, and we were reading in uh, Extreme Devotions. This is just a book of martyrs, basically stories from different martyrs throughout. And one of the things he was talking about was um, he, he was in tremendous uh, suffering, but still holding on to his faith. But his wife was struggling, and he encouraged her to remain faithful, and they ended up dying together. Um, and it actually said the highlight for this was extreme unity. But I thought that, and it also talked about like compromise, and I said, for the, in our home, if we want to have extreme unity in our home, what do we see in our home that's in a compromise? I mean, any time in our Christian life, we should raise our hands and say, what is compromise right now? Like, uh, things might be awesome. That's a great time to look for compromise because you want it to keep awesome. Um, what is it that's compromised in my life? And we went through in our family and we started talking about the either subtle compromises or places in our life. And I liked one of the ones that we came up with, communication. We, we need, we're compromised in communication because we could be communicating in healthier ways than what we are and we haven't been. And so when we address that compromise, in the least little way, we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and move in oneness with God. <clears throat> and I think this is what's interesting. Is Jesus said, "Let them that, that they may be one as we are one. Well, how do we keep that oneness with God and with one another? That there has to be in our life a constant attitude of repentance and check and balance in our life to say, I don't want anything in my life to be out of check. And whatever I've been tolerating over the years, whatever I've been ignoring, whatever I've not been focused on, I'm calling attention to right now. And what is it that needs to be different? Is it my devotional time with God? Sometimes it's not how you ask God to help you. 
And let me be very careful when I say that. But a lot of us are struggling with things because we're not willing to put out the effort God's told us to. And the problem results and sits in our lap. And what we're doing is asking for grace in the attitude and the resistance of our own will toward God. Lord, give me grace. But the reality is, is we're not putting the check into the fact that I haven't been willing for that grace to really establish in my life. One of the things that I've realized that the Lord has used to uncover things in my, in my own heart was I've been praying like I've been a victim. Lord, I'm so sorry that I've done this again. I know I shouldn't have. I hate it when I do this. Here I am confessing my sin to God or confessing my place of my error and feel like I've revisited this numerous times. What is the issue? And feel like the Holy Spirit, because <clears throat> he knows you better than you know yourself, he, he revealed to me. It's because it's an actual justification for you. If you're too weak to be able to do anything otherwise, then that's a great justification piece for you to continue to retain uh, that attitude or continue to keep indulging that same sin in your life. Well, I'm too weak without God. And we place that as our new form of justification. And what we don't realize in our spirit is we're trying, we're deceiving ourselves on where the problem exists. And most of the time, the problem is in our own heart. Because I'm a firm believer in this. There is no place in our life that we will not have victory in God if we're being truthful and honest about ourselves. But we have to face ourselves. You mean all this time that I let on, Lord, that I really want you to deliver me and I want you to help me, but actually, I'm actually kind of holding on to this as if this were my form of idolatry? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why. Because I'm always at the footstool ready to help you, ready to do anything I can for you, but you're resistant. You're resistant. And one of the ways that I see that is, is that when people are hurt by somebody else, or they feel like they're hurt, why is it that some people are like, man, you could, you could lash out at me. You could swear at me. You could do anything to me. And I'm solid as a rock. I'm not moving. And other people are like, you just whisper a hint of displeasure in some way, and boom, they're just down. Like You just knock them down with a cold, hard punch. What's the difference most of the time? I think the difference is, is the way we look at our pain, the way that we look at what, what's happened to us. Because when I look at my pain, I'm not, I shouldn't be looking at what's done to me. I should be asking myself, what's, what's the message of the gospel behind what I'm suffering? And this has been one of my greatest joys. So to think of the disciples after they'd been beaten and suffered shame for his name. They didn't go off whining toward one another at how badly they'd been treated. But they actually went away rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. It's like they released it over again to the Lord. I like how my father-in-law says that he says forgiveness is not letting go of it. He says it's giving it. You give it to God. You surrender it to him and let him do something. And you just release it to his authority. And the problem with unforgiveness is you haven't released it to God. You haven't let him own it yet. And so you want vindication. And God says, I'm not going to let you in the spirit of unforgiveness. I'm not going to vindicate you. But when you let go of it, I'm going to deal with that person. I'm going to do something on your behalf. But you have to let go and give it to me. I'm the Lord of your sufferings. I'm the Lord of your pains. 
And that's what I love about this part of it. I'm like, how else? What else are we talking about when we're talking about unity and humility? We're talking about this is where it's this, the work of God doing this in our heart. In verse 5, in, uh, I'm sorry, verse 11 talks about the five offices of ministry or the fivefold ministry of the apostle. So we'll go here. And gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So he gave all of these to the ministry. We probably fall in one of those categories one way or another. We may be teachers or whatever, but I, I will never announce myself as an apostle. I'm all, always interested to hear somebody when they say they're an apostle. I'm like, I hope that's for real. <laughs> um, verses 12 through 15. And this is the reason for these teachers and these ministers is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know, most of us would never give up our faith in Jesus, but we will give up our faith in one another easily without even twitching an eye. You did one thing, and that's, that's bad. That's sad. That's a reality, though. Now, not all of us will be that way, and praise God for that. But I believe the deeper the work of the Spirit of God has been in your life, you're just as devoted to your faith in your brothers and sisters as you are in your faith to Jesus Christ. Because they're a part of it. We are the body of Christ. We're not a body separate from Christ. We're the body of Christ. So how do we care for one another? How do we put our life in toward one another? How do we basically take away from ourselves to, to do something for somebody else? And in the end, you're giving something to yourself. I think that's what ultimately the essence of love is. And so here it is for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the saints, for the maturing of the saints. God's give us apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors to help us do that. But we've got to also support those who are that for us. I don't think it's that these men are holy, perfect, and we don't need to support them. <laughs> no, we need to support them as they support us. We are lifting each other up and building each other up in our faith. Um, and then verse 16. Oh, well, let's see. Uh, verse 13. So we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there's a disconnect that oftentimes the closer we want with God, and I find people like this, why are they the holy huddle somewhere else? and yet they want to be unified to Christ. You are in absolute disunity to your Lord if you will not be willing to be unified with His body. Now, we might have to define that body and who that body really is, but ultimately, we can't. there's no antisocial part of the body. We're all a functioning part of one another, and we affect one another in that way. Uh, verses 14, do, do we... Henceforth, be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive us. So I think this is that we are already prone, we're already we're ripe for deception in, in doctrines that even we think we believe in when we don't carry out the graces of the gospel in our life. So it's not about... Do I have the graces in head? Do I have the graces in my life? Am I living out the gospel the way God intended for me to do? Do I have that gospel work inside of me? So, I mean, it's just simple. When we find ourselves lashing out 
or acting in ways inappropriate to the gospel, even in our own conscience, we say no too. And we find ourselves in that form of life or in that situation. We're already being carried away with a wind of doctrine. Because as much as we say, I believe in holiness, <laughs> right? I believe in holiness, but I practice unholiness commonly. Now we're just going to put the word commonly in there. I commonly do this, but I, pr- I believe this, but I practice this. And what do you really believe? I mean, what do we really believe? Well, I, I'm not going to tell you that. That's the reality. What we practice is what's really going on in our hearts. The deception is, is that somehow in our minds we think we really believe this. And that's why Jesus said, you shall know the, true, the tree by its fruit. What is the fruit of your life? What is the common outcome of? And you, you'll know the fruit, and we always do it that way. But we need reminded of that, and we need convicted of that. Verses, uh, let's go back to your 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We're just putting Jesus back in his headship for who he truly is and what place he actually has in our life. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I guess I would like to say at this point, I think this is the point I would like for the intercessors of our church, the intercessors for our church, this is where I'd like to, I would like to direct your prayer time and your intercessory. Is, are we coming together? Yeah. Are we spending time together? Yeah. But are we unified like this? You know, and this is where we need to pray. And so, where the whole body is fitly joined together and every joint supplying. And I've had a lot of people say this, and I believe their criticism is true. So, like, what you're seeing is the James supply right now, right? So, like, here's James giving out, James sharing, James, you know, doing this part. And that feels like this joint is supplying maybe. But it's also given people this feeling of, I sit in the pew or I sit in the chair and I come every Sunday and my joint isn't supplying. And the church isn't setting it up in a way, or we're not designing the, the ministry in such a way, is that every joint supplies. So a lot of us may be feeling like I'm sitting at home and I'm not supplying. And I want to supply, or I need to be supplying. And this is a great opportunity for us in this scenario is to begin to reflect on that. Because I realize it. I'm like, I believe that, first of all, this, I want to say this, is some of you are supplying, but the supply isn't just in this place and it isn't just a Sunday supply. So praise the Lord, we're not just dealing with Sunday. Um, so this is a everyday supply. And you're like, well, I'm doing the best I can in the situations. The question also times is, Lord, what else? Is there something more that we can do in, in the functioning together? And I believe there is. I believe as a body, and I believe that's one of the things uh, that we struggle with to be able to stay together is we just don't feel like we're functioning together. And that's going to be a part of leadership role. Whoever steps up to basically be the pastor, pastor in that way is going to have to look at that. And I believe I'm looking at it the best I can in the scenario we are. I want to just say this one thing because this is something that's happening. And and then we'll close with this. Um, the long-winded preacher. I could really I could really write about that much on my notes, and I could still say hours worth, truly. Um, 
And so I'll also lay, I need like a timer in the back of the ding, 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 like you're done. <laughs> but uh, this COVID thing is affecting the church in many ways. And I know, I know an individual who isn't coming, still loves us, still cares for us, but isn't coming because of underlying health issues that he's worried about with COVID stuff. And, you know, I debate both sides of that because I'm like, okay, I see that, but I also see the, the lack of connection that you have with, with the body of believers is going to help you spiritually, and I fear for you in that sense. And so I think that those things we have to weigh out very carefully as a church today and as we're coming together because, <clears throat> but I want to say this, I don't give a care how many of us meet together. Is Those of us who do, I, w- I want to continue to, draw this circle together and keep it uh, pure. I want to have holiness between us. I want to grow in God. No matter what the numbers are, I want to continue to grow in him. And I want to be committed, but I want your challenge. James, are you going to be committed during this time to stand firm? You know, right now, here we are in some ways, they're saying if you gather more than six people in your home, then we can arrest you and fine you or whatever. I'm willing to raise my hand to that. It's like, if, if need be, and the difference is, if the, this is what we've been noticing, you give it time. Here that we're at the onset, and we were like, okay, well, we'll dissolve the, the meetings together or whatever. And I say this, it's not a matter of whether we're going to meet or how we're going to have church. It's just the way we're going to do it. And it may be very much different than what we're looking at right now. <clears throat> and every believer has to look at this very plainly and carefully in what they're dealing with. But we realize we're dealing with that. I don't want to be insensitive to the fact that there is there is a pandemic, and we do have to look at that side of it. And if there's wisdom in going forward, I want to go forward with it. But the one thing I don't want to see, I don't want to see the fellowship of the church die. I don't want to see it die under any circumstances. But it'll test us. It'll test us in ways we've never been tested before. And it'll put what we believe to the test. And I believe if what we're talking about here, I mean, we could go next Sunday and start this sermon all over again, and we could redo this because there's so much, there's, there's a difference from living it out, playing it out, and just knowing what we're supposed to do. So we could revisit this over and over again. The accountability to it would be amazing. But here we're, we're going to be tested, and we are. Right now we're all feeling that. We're feeling it in a way. Some of us asking us, well, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving? I mean, we had a plan for all these people, and what are we going to do? And everybody's going to make different choices. But what I want you to do, and I want you to encourage others to do that, encourage me to do the same thing, I want you to say, I want you to make a choice based on your conviction to love and serve Jesus Christ. That's the first and foremost. Make sure you're listening to him. Don't just make decisions because, and we do, we have governing authorities that they have, there might be some good thoughts behind it, but the reality is, is that the thing that separated the church and the world from the very beginning is that those of us who love God are going to make decisions based on our commitment to him. And that's first and foremost. And what, what can I argue with you after that? Like I have no other argument but beyond that point. But I do see something suffering these days, and that's, that's the fellowship of brothers and sisters. And I love, I'm just going to say personally, I love, I love fellowship when Sunday's over with. Uh, Lee McLeod, he calls it the meetings between the meetings. Basically, you're having the meeting, but what are the other meetings that you guys are having throughout the week? And, you know, I know people are saying, and I hear this across this nation all over the place, people are saying well, there's just a lack of fellowship, a lack of fellowship. And I'm so sad because of that. that's true for so many. But 
what I've realized, I'm so blessed with my wife because she has been the she's been the thing that hasn't let the uh, introvert side of me go sterile and lose all connection with everybody. And she's really kept me close to other people. But I also feel like I love it. Like I want to respond and grab out even without any other because I see the value of our relationships together.